The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. We're going to kick things off uh, as we do every day with our afternoon update, catching you up on all that has happened uh, today, the stories that matter most. And joining me for the afternoon update uh, today is Kira Phelan, Senior Correspondent with the Irish Examiner, and Michael Kelly, the journalist and former editor of the Irish Catholic. You're both very welcome. Thanks, Thanks a million uh, for uh, coming into studio. Uh, so, Kira, uh, as we heard mention of in the news headlines, uh, there are investigations ongoing um, after um, migrants were found in a truck uh, on its way to Ross Lair uh, from the continent on Monday evening. What more can you tell us about that? Where is that? Yeah, so essentially now the Gardaí are investigating, you know, human trafficking and trying to come to the conclusion, I suppose, of the journey that these migrants have taken and whether they actually you know, believe that they were going to be coming to Ireland. There is some reports at the moment that perhaps the migrants thought that they were heading for the UK. So the investigation obviously is very at a very early stage as it is. And, you know, I'm just coming from Leinster House there and speaking to government TDs that are around today and to some ministers. They're just very relieved that this did not end up in, in, in a more serious situation whereby, you know, we were discussing potentially the loss of lives here, 14 people, and that thankfully they're still alive. But also, you know, concern about are we going to see more, you know, uh, scenarios like this? Um, obviously, they're going to be on alert now. And, you know, I just wonder, are ministers going to have a conversation about potentially increasing checks at mm. ports. Like we do know there are some checks at ports, but um, how frequent is something like this going to continue? I think that's definitely a concern among government at the moment. Yeah, we heard Patrick Tobin on the station earlier calling for exactly that, more robust checks at ports as a way of dissuading people from doing this. Michael, when this story broke yesterday, um, and Kira mentioned the possibility of tragedy, we spoke to Ger Carthy, who's an independent councillor in Wexford, and he, he described a situation whereby the, the emergency call came from the migrants themselves having difficulty uh, to breathe. And immediately, and I'm sure you were the same and lots of people were the same, I thought of uh, Essex a few years ago, and those 39 mm. Vietnamese, Vietnamese migrants who died. Yeah, no, I mean, I think everyone is breathing sigh of relief today and it really shows the the human story of migration because sometimes it's very easy to be kind of clinical about these things and say, you know, 400 international protection cases or, you know, X number of men going to a certain place. But here we see the desperate ends that people are going to and also the vast criminal networks that are involved in things like this because this is pure profiteering in human misery. And I'd have to say, Thank God that the emergency call made it through to the UK authorities because you know how often you can be without a mobile phone signal. I'm sure that's the same at sea as well. And that these people, the fact that they were able to pick open some space in the container to have some oxygen in, I mean, this could have very, very easily been uh, an immense tragedy. And again, it really just does show that migration is a phenomenon in the world today. I mean, people, people for all kinds of reasons want to move from the places uh, that they are and mm. uh, it's a huge challenge to the government and I think something that is very much uh, front and central in the conversation now and I think the, um, th- th- this is really going to uh, call for more checks at the port. I did notice uh, travelling in the latter part of last year coming into Dublin airport being actually stopped getting mm. off the plane much more often and asked for passports actually at the gates before even going to the passport control desk so obviously they have stepped things up at the airport. I don't know enough about the Europort down at Rosslare, what they're doing 
doing, but I think this certainly will uh, will heighten a desire for uh, prevention around it. But before all of that, I say, look, ultimately, thank God, human tragedy was uh, w- was averted here. Um, they, they find themselves arriving, these migrants as well, here at a time when, and Michael quite rightly points out that this is the big issue or one of the big issues facing, gov- facing government. John Lee yesterday described 2024 in advance as the, the year of the immigrant. It's what we're all going yeah. to be talking about. Um and I mean, I, I, I don't know about you. One of the kind of dispiriting aspects of all of this I found was that the idea that uh, once these people were kind of checked and their health was checked and they were given the all clear and they were kind of put into the protection of the of the international protection system, um, that we would turn around and say, actually, the place that you were hoping to sleep tonight has been burnt down because some locals don't want you there. Yeah. And I mean, we have seen that over the last couple of weeks and I see a protest um, is actually underway at the moment again at at another accommodation centre that has been earmarked for international protection applicants. Actually in Carlo, a protest has begun today. I believe that they're expecting a a significant crowd at 7.30 this evening. And we have seen, like you mentioned, Kieran, you know, arson attacks, which is criminal activity. And I think what the government really needs to focus on now is ensuring that those who are carrying out criminal activity face the the legal system. We have not seen any arrests or prosecutions yet and I think that needs to come to deter people uh, further from carrying out these attacks. But like you said, I think it's on everybody's mind, on every politician's mind, that immigration Mm. is going to be a major issue this year, particularly coming up to the local and European elections and, you know, people, you know, forecast that we will have a general election maybe towards the end of the year. And I think... Speaking to a few um, government sources, they're looking at whether they're saying that it'll be interesting to see how well independent councillors may do at the local elections that may not be part of a political party and are out there and are voicing concerns of the community, albeit some may say that, you know, the use of their language Mm. uh, is not right. But at the end of the day, they're feeding into this so-called fear that's in communities. And I think the job of government now is to really get their messaging and communication tactic clear. I did see the Taoiseach moving on that yesterday. I was at a... a, a press conference or a doorstep with him at the IFA AGM yeah. um, in Bluebell and it was actually the first time that he took the opportunity to communicate the state's process when it comes to um, processing asylum seekers and he took the, cha- the, the chance to say, you know, it's a myth and try to dispel myths that are out there that people seeking asylum come in, coming into the country that they're not checked, they're not photographed that their fingerprint isn't taken, that is all happening and that their background is ran in a system to ensure uh, that they have, you know if, if whether they have criminal records or not and pointing out that, you know people have a legal entitlement to seek asylum here and if they don't and they, their asylum isn't granted that they will be deported. Uh, a lot of people getting in touch. They came from Belgium. I can't understand why they came here when Belgium is a safe and wealthy nation. Well, as Kira uh, points out quite rightly, they, there is suspicion that they did not think they were actually coming here. Uh, probably thought they were going to the UK. Uh, that's been the experience of truck drivers and I know I've spoken to in the past uh, who have found people stowing away in their cargo. I think of the money these people spend trying to mm. get here, probably their life savings. Okay. You touched on that, Michael. I, mm. I remember a few years ago, people might remember Jungle 2, the big camp yep. outside Calais. There was Jungle 1 and then they were moved and they just moved down the road to Jungle 2. And I mean, if you wanted to see people in desperate straits, having spent all of their money mm. from yeah. kind of... They 
the Hindu Kush right across the yeah. old Silk Road essentially is what they were following absolutely entire families money spent on the chance of getting one person to Europe with the hope then possibly of joining them later or uh, or sending money back so uh, again I just keep coming back to the human side of it because yeah. I think that's what's lost too often in these protests and I understand you know some of the people involved in the protests have legitimate things that they're concerned about as well mm-hmm. and you know I think what Kira is saying there about the Taoiseach starting to communicate more about this this is hugely important because the problem is someone sees someone in a pub on a Friday night and they say oh did you hear what happened you know that house down the road you know a bunch of immigrants arrived in last night and they were given the house straight away and they're getting thousands of euro in benefits every week and people just start listening to this and they start telling each other information like that it's like the old saying you know the uh, lie is halfway around the world before the truth mm. has, its, has its boots on so mm. there is a responsibility I think in politicians not just to say to people oh you're far right or you're mm-hmm. racist or you're that they need to actually communicate the facts mm. uh, around the system that's there and you know I, like I heard that doorstep with the Taoiseach where he was talking about the fingerprinting where he was talking about cross-referencing it with the Europol uh, files and various things like that I think that'll be that'll be reassuring to people one one point that is of huge concern to me around it though I, I, I just I really hate the way that men have become really toxic in this immigration debate whereas oh, we're going to have women and children but we're not going to have men you know the kind of horrors that people are fleeing around the world you know men are fleeing those horrors mm. as well and I okay there's a natural inbuilt sympathy for, for, for women and children but uh, you know very often these are these are families coming together and the experiences of people in really troubled parts of the world are, are common experiences I, oft, I also have wondered the last couple of days where you know in asylum seeker accommodation you know that's been earmarked for um, international protection applicants the continuing sentiment is that oh, we didn't get enough consultation mm. we weren't informed but to be quite honest with you, I think no matter how much consultation or information you're given a week or two in advance, I don't think it's actually going to change the outcome of people's minds in some areas and towns. No. Yeah, well, listen, our protesters, I think, would have taken some sucker from what happened in Ballinrobe and they think if we don't yeah. want men here, let's just protest for long enough and, and men won't come here, as uh, Michael says. I mean, nobody gets a say on their neighbours if somebody new moves mm-hmm. into the estate. You know, there isn't a vote. Uh, you you to want to know to who's moving. You want to know yeah, how it sure. is. In news. We all have investment in our community. It's yeah. one of the great things about Ireland that yeah. that's mm-hmm of community. So I'm, I'm all for the curiosity and what's that mm. old hotel going to be used for? Who's moving into it? What services are they going to get? But the idea that I can say, actually, I don't really like that plan. Yeah, and you have they seen actually in Clare, I know there was a protest late there last year and again for asylum seekers, majority males. And actually since they've moved into the area, the sentiment has completely changed because the individuals have got... Have, um, involved in the community are volunteering and it completely changed. Um, Listen, we're going to come back to that a little bit later. Henry McKean has actually been speaking to some truck drivers around Dublin Port and elsewhere who have some direct experience of that. So we're going to hear from Henry and those drivers later in the show. Um, uh, Kira, we're also going to be talking about this women in sports survey that's got a lot of attention today. Um, The overwhelming majority of people wish it were not so, yet they do nothing about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Most people, uh, five times more likely, uh, the Irish population, to go to a men's sporting event than a women's. Mm -hmm. And it's not entirely surprising, I mean, if you're paying attention to viewing figures. Yeah, yeah. that too. Um, look, almost 60% of those surveyed had said that, that they'd never actually attended uh, a ladies' um, game. But to be quite honest with you, Kieran, when I was thinking about this, it didn't surprise me because of the treatment of women in sport in comparison to their male uh, colleagues. I mean, only last year we had a protest where we had players, female players playing under protest and we've continuously heard about the unfair equal treatment that they receive in terms of trying to find 
training spaces to get physio in terms of dressing rooms. So I think there's an element of that there too, that if they were actually treated equally, mm. that perhaps people would sit up and take more interest in the sport themselves because we've, we have some of the finest uh, female sporting sportswomen in the country and it's our national sport. And you have to ask why, why wouldn't someone want to attend uh, a female GA game or a camogie mm. game when it's just as good as a male's uh, match? So I, it doesn't surprise me whatsoever yeah. about, about the, the survey and the results that came out. Like 60% is a phenomenal figure. Well, I was also surprised that three in 10 people have never been to a live sporting event in the country. That kind of surprised me as well. Now, obviously, the 60% for uh, for women's women sports is, uh, is ridiculous at this stage. I'd love to see it broken down in terms, I would suspect something like the GAA probably has more attendance because there, again, there is that community sense been on an upward trajectory and I did sometimes that the temptation with these is to focus on the negative and, and I don't want to be accused of uh, of kind of uh, of suggesting that you know kind of the work is done throw your feet up mm-hmm. campaigners and advocates and forget about it but um, like generally speaking if you look at attendance as 10, 15, 20 years ago across women's yeah. sports it was a fraction of what it is absolutely, today. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean but look I, I know where I'm from in, in Tyrone you know if it's the ladies team that's in a final or the men's team that's in a final the entire parish is behind it you know I, I think the GA probably have a bit of learning there that they could uh, they could offer to the other sports. I also mm. think if you even look at men's soccer I think women are disproportionately underrepresented attending men's soccer matches as well compared say to a, a man's GA match but I, I think, uh, you know, people are saying that uh, they think the uh, the quality is is low. I mean, I, I don't think that's borne out by the, the facts. I think it's just a perception that people have. But I also think that we do have to look at the consistent underfunding of uh, mm-hmm. women's sports. And there's all kinds of other issues as well when it comes to schools about why so many teenage girls give up playing sport yeah. at a yeah. certain age when boys continue. So I think there's a much wider question about female participation in sport. Uh, something else we're going to come back to. Uh, but Kira, there's a um, the OECD have this uh, report out today, just in the last couple of hours, and you know I can I can feel people's eyes glazing. An OECD report <laughs> about corporate tax receipts, but actually this is this has a tangible impact on people's lives because what they've said is that if people expected us getting rid of the twelve and a half percent corporate tax yeah. rate, which went on the first of January, we're up to fifteen percent now. If people expected that to be the end of the corporate tax gravy train, mm. the OECD say no. No, actually, it could be as high as thirty two billion, an eight billion euro increase possibly this year in corporate tax receipts. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting as well. Not that he'd know, but uh, the Finance Minister, Michael McGrath, only days ago in uh, speaking to my colleague Jennifer Bray in the Irish Times saying there would be no uh, cost of living package in the springtime. And I think this report that came out today, I say there's ministers inside going, oh no, we have more well, that's money. that's an expectation, flowing. you see, is what they yeah, hate. I did, I did see, though, that um, before Christmas, um, Minister McGrath was speaking about this and he actually said that the you know, the money that would come flow from this, actually the, the country wouldn't see it until 2026. So it's not an immediate, we're not going to see an immediate flow of cash into the country. Um, and I think as well, um, and I know the OC, OECD report touches on this, what impact will it actually have on those multinationals doing business in Ireland and other countries, which they are now calling these investment hubs? Mm. Um, will they... Tax havens. Yes, but will <laughs> Sorry, they Sorry, I mean investment hubs. <laughs> we're an investment hub. Will they, in the future, look <laughs> at potentially going elsewhere that mm. they're not charged this massive tax? I don't know, it would be very difficult to move, you know, well, yeah. it would be difficult, but to move base, essentially. But, 
yeah, I do think that a lot of people will be looking at this going, great, the con- there's cash flowing into the country. We saw the tax receipts in November. We were being warned for so long that, you know, oh, it mightn't be as good. Mm. And they actually came up upon expectation. But yet mm. the government continuously are saying it's volatile. We can't depend on the corporation tax receipts. But then, bam, we have this report oh, Michael, out today. I mean, eight billion extra, even if it is in a couple of years time, as opposed to this year. I mean, it's four national children's hospitals. And to, to make a serious point, it does, it does create a bit of a headache for a government. It's hard to turn around and say, isn't this absolutely brilliant when people say, well, we still don't have a house and I can't afford the rent yeah, no, and the really hospital does. waiting list is and awful. Look, you know, Kira drinks the same water as the other people over in Leinster House there, you know, and she's talking about the possibility of a general election this year. I mean, the money that was slushed away at the last budget. OK, if you know that another eight billion is probably coming in 2026 and you're the government, are you going to start pushing that out into real tangible ways that people are going to realise? Or are you mm. going to run the risk that you leave it in the bank for someone else to spend? I mean, it's much too tempting for politicians in the context of an election. And you're right, it's in a sense, I mean, I heard someone texting your programme yesterday saying, you know, we're, we're one of the wealthiest countries in the world, but it doesn't feel like we live in a wealthy mm. country. And I think that's how a lot of people experience it yeah. when it comes to housing, when it comes to healthcare, when it comes to infrastructure. We don't seem to have the things Pri- private that wealth, other countries Private wealth, public squalor. It's not the Gilbert yeah. Galbraith. Uh, I mean, if you go somewhere like Spain, you know, which is considered a, a much poorer country than Ireland, but you look at the infrastructure that connects their airports to their cities, uh, it's much better than uh, it's much better than anything we have here. So I think the government are really going to have a job to challenge that perception because, you know, the numbers are there on paper, but people people don't always feel it. Mm. Michael Kelly, journalist, former editor of the Irish Catholic, Kira Fielden, senior correspondent with the Irish Examiner. Thank you both very, very much. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.